Islamic Finance News, the world's leading Islamic finance news provider, this is IFN Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the show. I'm Vinita Tan, the Managing Editor of Islamic Finance News, and I'm delighted to be hosting the show today. In today's episode, we speak to Mohamed Paracha, the head of Middle East at Norton Rose Fulbright, and also the firm's head of Islamic finance for the Middle East and Africa. Now, Mohamed helps us to understand what is happening in the world of Islamic project and infrastructure finance during this ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. It is worth mentioning that Norton Rose Fulbright is the IFM best law firm in infrastructure and project finance for the year 2021. During our candid conversation, Mohammed also shared with us details on a global Islamic finance law his firm has been working on with the Dubai government and the Islamic Development Bank. So before we start today, of course, um, Prasha, I'd like to congratulate Norton Rose Fulbright for winning IFM Project and Infrastructure Finance Law Firm of the Year. It has been an exciting year for the law firm. Um, I'd like to start our conversation today with the project finance landscape, particularly how has Islamic project and infrastructure finance sector been impacted by the global pandemic? Sure. So thank you very much, uh, Vanita, for uh, inviting us to talk about uh, this topic today on your podcast. Very happy to be here on behalf of Norton Rose Fulbright. Um, So if we look at the last 12 to 18 months and how project finance um, has been impacted by the pandemic, I think it depends on which jurisdictions we're talking about. But uh, as a general theme, I think it's been a very strong Uh, year for project finance. And if there is an impact, I think it's probably seen in the fact that there have been delays on some projects um, with off-takers postponing the construction works. And we have also seen an impact where bid periods have been extended. But, you know, those are some of the themes that have sort of come out of the global pandemic. But as you know, the lead time and uh, and the whole sort of project finance construction time is such that if something was being worked on coming into the pandemic and was fully funded, then there wasn't really going to be any material impact on existing projects anyway. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So um, from all the work that you've done over the last year or so, uh, I see that you've actually worked on numerous like renewable or energy type projects also. Can you share with us some of the more like significant deals, more exciting deals, and really what these deals actually say about the global Islamic finance industry? Yeah, sure. Um, well, I mean, I think the, unfortunately the largest deal uh, in the past year was, you know, for Jera 3 uh, IPP, which was 100% yeah. conventional um, because it needed to close so urgently. So it was a bit of a shame that that couldn't be Islamic. Um, although there are you know, Islamic banks looking to join the financing, and there's quite a bit of structuring work around that at the moment to sort of see how that can work. Um, but you know, aside from from you know that transaction, um, I think most of the projects really have been Saudi projects this year for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, as you'd expect, um, and as your listeners would expect, uh, that market continues to be one of strength when it comes to project finance and infrastructure deals as well. So, if we look at the school PPPs. Um, you know, for example, uh, in that sector, uh, we see that they've heavily relied upon the liquidity that's coming out from the banks who are interested in that market, in the Saudi market. And the structures have been the typical sort of istisna ijara structures, um, which we see and we have seen for, you know, the last 
10 to 15 years. So, you know, that's well-trodden ground. Um, you know, that's kind of what I expect is the benchmark for doing project finance in the region, particularly in markets like Saudi Arabia. Mm -hmm. And um, in terms of, you mentioned PPP and soft trends, in terms of um, developments in this sector, I, are there any sort of any new innovation, any creativity or any like structuring challenges that you faced? Mm. Yeah, that's a that's a very interesting question. Um, so when we look at the trends, I think, again, each jurisdiction is slightly different. So if you mm -hmm. look at Saudi Arabia in particular, it certainly is expanding its uh, PPP financings and is increasingly looking to privatize more sectors, you know, such as healthcare, education and tourism. These are the, the typical areas that many governments look to privatize. So we're seeing a push in that direction. Um, in terms of what's happening, though, I think I think we do as an industry have to take stock um, and look at some of the challenges that have arisen. And I think over the last year to 18 months, there have been a couple of challenges that we've had to deal with. One is how as an industry are we going to deal with LIBOR replacement? So effectively, uh, LIBOR, as we all know, um, is being phased out. Uh, and you know how do we deal with that with the replacement benchmarks? And then secondly, we've had certainly from a UAE perspective, uh, regulatory changes coming in from the higher Sharia Authority who have been looking to implement AOFI um, across its licensees uh, in the UAE. And I think those two challenges sort of have come together. Um, and I think you know whether intentional or unintentional, the changes that have taken place in terms of uh, commodity Murabaha in particular, have had a profound effect on the market. Um, you know, so if you look at project finance, for example, um, what it's meant is that sponsors, so project sponsors, they would normally look at commodity Murabaha for, let's say, an equity bridge or working capital um, facility. They are more likely to go to conventional finance going forward because it's just been a lot easier for them which is obviously a shame. Um, right. And so I think what we've seen with the, the changes coming through is that there have been um, changes that have been introduced, but I think the industry has not been able to rally around the uh, solution that is the best to deal with the regulatory changes. And that's where the uh, uncertainties have arisen. If we didn't have those uncertainties, then I think it would be fine to introduce, you know, regulatory changes to follow AOFI uh, in commodity Murabaha. But the lack of having, um, you know, an alternative that the industry has been able to rally around um, has been a real challenge for some of these uh, transactions where there aren't any assets over which you could create an Istisnaijara structure, for example. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the challenges. And I think the other uh, point to note, which has sort of come, come in uh, at the same time, is this change for risk-free rates. And so a great part of the last 12 months had been around, well, how do we come up with structures that um, can rely upon a risk-free rate, which is not a forward-looking term rate? So whether GBP Sonia or USD Sofra uh, in, initially, they both had um, rates which were daily rates, uh, which is, of course, how the industry is moving, rather than term rates. Whereas LIBOR would have, you know, one, three or uh, one, one, three or six month 
uh, rate typically on transactions. So when it comes to Islamic facilities, that creates problems because both under Murabaha and Ijara, you need to be able to work out your rental or your sale price um, you know, prior to the rental period or the Murabaha being entered into. And if you can't do that because the risk-free rate doesn't work on that basis, then it creates lots of difficulties. Now, the, the last 12 months had been spent looking at how the structures could be modified, but I think where we are now is that both Sonia has a term rate and also Sofra has a term rate. And the industry is kind of now saying, well, all of that work that we did over the last 12 months to come up with alternative structures probably isn't needed. Um, and, and as long as treasuries are happy to use the equivalent term rates under the risk-free rates now, then um, we hope that the industry will be able to put behind that complication that arose. But I think it doesn't stop there. And you know, within project finance, uh, for example, we're working on transactions which are between um, Islamic and conventional lenders on, on the same deal, where perhaps the conventional lender will look to adopt a compound rate, so a risk-free rate as a conventional lender would. But the Islamic um, uh, bank on the deal um, will not be able to do the same. And so you may have in multi-tranche financings a situation where one of the uh, banks in the deal, one of the lenders, the conventional lender, is being paid out on a slightly different basis to the, the, the Islamic uh, financier on the deal because the financier on the Islamic side has had to go with a term rate. And so we're going to see these interesting intercreditor issues, I think, develop where agents will need to think about making whole uh, these two facilities so that the choice of rates doesn't actually have an impact uh, or a detrimental impact on what one of the finance parties. And of course, all of that needs to be explained to borrowers as well. Easier to do when your project sponsors are um, structuring all of their business to be Sharia compliant on faith grounds, much more difficult to do with project sponsors who are just looking at liquidity. Mm. So you've mentioned, you've elaborated on very important challenges, LIBOR, and also uh, regulatory changes with uh, regards to AUL fee. So, and I know you talked about this a little bit about how to like navigate this and then how to mitigate the risks that comes with these changes. How, how else do you think uh, market practitioners um, should prepare themselves? And also like, how do you think these would change or impact or shape your outlook for Islamic finance, in particular Islamic project and infrastructure finance. Yeah, um, so I think what one of the one of the themes out of the last sort of ten years, and you know, we've been doing Islamic financing for well, I've been doing it for almost twenty years now. Uh, I think it's it's a very well established source of financing for projects in the Middle East, um, and we've got you know not only the the usual incumbents, but we've got you know Japanese banks and multilaterals from around the world all engaged in Islamic finance. So it definitely is here to stay, and the understanding is growing. Um, in, in terms of outlook for project finance, um, I think there will be an increasing number of projects that will obtain their senior debt on an Islamic basis. And I think what we are seeing now, particularly in the Saudi market, is that the, those projects that have removed construction risk and have become operational, we're now seeing more refinancing being achieved through Sukuk structures. And that sort of whole debate about when project bonds and Sukuk will take out um, the, the more expensive, potentially uh, senior debt. We're now seeing a lot more of that. So that's to be 
welcomed. But I, I do think it's it's going to be a challenge for the short term debt facilities, as I mentioned earlier, such as um, you know Equity Bridge and Working Capital yeah. facilities, for them to be um, on a Murabaha basis, which was the most flexible structure. The industry kind of needs to come up with uh, an alternative with the regulator and the scholars uh, to come up with a structure that gives a a debt flavor, uh, but without of the inherent risks that we see with some of the quasi debt equity structures like uh, Wakala and uh, you know Mudaraba, which which some banks are happy to use, but the majority are not uh, for short-term debt facilities. So I think we're going to see more happening there, and I think the next 12 months will still be a little bit of a state of flux um, on what the replacement commodity Murabaha product looks like. Um, we just have to see. Right, and in, uh, as far as uh, Northern Rose Fulbright is concerned, what's in the pipeline for you guys over the next 12 months? What can we expect from the law firm for the coming year? Uh, yeah, interesting question. I mean, I think the, the one project that probably I can talk about, um, a lot of what we do is confidential, uh, but in terms of the public domain stuff, I think most of your listeners might be aware that we are acting for the Dubai government and the Islamic Development Bank on writing the uh, global Islamic finance law, which mm -hmm. is designed to try and create an enabling environment for the world to conduct Islamic finance on a common playbook. Uh, and so the idea is that that comes through, um, is ratified um, you know, by IDB member countries and obviously creates a, uh, an effect in that you know, non-Muslim countries who want to do Islamic finance and don't have their own legal framework could then look to uh, ratify the treaty and adopt the laws. So I think the next 12 months um, we'll be seeing that law going into public consultation. Uh, mm -hmm. It's been drafted, um, and so it's now very much in the stage of being reviewed by Sharia scholars and the various steering committee members, uh, and then, as I mentioned, public consultation, and that's when it starts getting exciting because you can kind of see um, the law in action and all the, the benefits in terms of efficiencies and removing some of the mystery around Islamic finance that shouldn't be possible with it. I think that's really exciting, and if I may, I think it's also such a such a big task, really, because you're talking about consolidating laws and and different uh, scholarly opinions uh, on a global basis. It must have been pretty challenging to put that together. It, it was a challenge. Um, I, I think, um, you know, we've been very fortunate as a firm to um, ha have, in addition to the transactional work, always had a sort of advisory part of the practice where we not only help new and new entrants in the industry, but also governments who are looking at ways in which they can introduce Islamic finance. So, so we were very uh, fortunate and uh, privileged to have been selected to do this work. Um, it's a challenge because not only do you have to draft something that is compatible with uh, Sharia principles, but also recognizing that you know, half of the world is based on yeah. common law and the other half is based on civil law, civil code. So how do you create an enabling law which effectively is compatible across the world, um, and and that 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 has not been has not been easy, um, Vanita. But uh, hopefully, when the market does see the law, uh, what they will see is a best practice law that's based upon established um, Islamic finance principles um, without controversy, and one that um, a broad spectrum of people can support and get behind. Um, and, and the proof is in the pudding, as they say, you know, once it starts getting enacted by one country mm. um, and then, you know, the, the cascade effect 
um, through IDB member countries and you know others who have participated. You know, if you if you just think of the power of it, I mean, if we looked at the um, you know African countries, um, and and there are so many um, African countries who have expressed a desire to get involved in Islamic finance, um, but they don't have the parliamentary bandwidth or you know the time necessarily um, to establish a technical team to 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 look at this because you know frankly speaking in GDP terms, uh, Islamic finance will never be double digit. Uh, for many of them, but yet they would like to have access to it. So what this law does and what it will do is it, it will effectively create that environment where states that just you know would like to complete their legal system can without necessarily having to compromise on um, you know the, the technology behind it or, or put separate time uh, in their valuable parliamentary timetable aside. So uh, I think we will see it in action over the next three, four years, but it's it, it will take a long time for it to come into full fruition. And I'm really looking forward to that. Thanks, Benita. Pleasure as always. Thank you for listening. For more discussions on the Islamic finance industry, log on to www.islamicfinancenews.com. You can also listen to IFN Podcast on your favorite platforms, including iTunes and Spotify.